I'm Alejandra Melian. Welcome to Talking Culture. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the traditional territory of the Ganyan Gahaga on the land known as Chiyotiagi. Talking Culture recognizes the Ganyan Gahaga as the rightful stewards of this land. A few weeks ago at our organizing meeting for Talking Culture Season 3, Megan broke the news to Danielle and me that she has to pull back from the podcast and focus on her own work. This is, of course, very sad news for us, though totally understandable on her part. Honestly, I can't really imagine Talking Culture without Megan. When I decided that I wanted to start this podcast three years ago, And side note, it's absolutely bananas that it's already been three years. But anyway, a whole group of people signed up to produce it with me. In the end, though, with the stresses of their coursework and and COVID taking the stage, one by one, they fell away as they realigned their priorities. Not Megan, though. For her, talking culture was a priority. Since then, since the very beginning... She has been the absolute best co-executive producer I could have asked for. From the very beginning, Megan has taken our podcast as seriously as it deserves. It would have been so easy for both of us to approach the project as, you know, just a student initiative or not a real podcast. But from day one, Megan has matched and sometimes gone far beyond my intention to make talking culture as entertaining, informative, interesting, and well-produced as possible. Without her dedication, the episodes we delivered to you every month would not have reached the quality that they did. All of her stories have been written with so much care and love, which is the same care and love that she brings to her own research, as well as the anthropology graduate student community at McGill. And with Megan also came her invaluable perspective as an archaeologist. Surrounded by cultural anthropologists, Megan has been graciously willing to dive deep into our theoretical concerns. I can't thank her enough for humoring Danielle and me as over and over again we bring up issues regarding media. Hey, by the way, did you know that we like film? (laughs) In those moments when I did get to hear her perspective as an archaeologist, such as her brilliant episode, A Heart-Centered Practice, I learned so much. Not just about archaeology itself, which I now believe every anthropologist should learn more about, but also about the ways archaeological ideas and perspectives can help all anthropologists become better at what they do. And besides the professionalism and intellect that Megan has brought with her, I honestly have just had so much fun doing this together every month. In the absolute chaos that is completing a PhD, I can't tell you how much joy it brought me to log on to Zoom from the darkness of my closet and to know that for the next hour or so, I'd just be talking with her and then later also Danielle, about things we all found interesting. There have been so many sections of -of out-of-control laughter that we've had to cut out of episodes, as well as days that, before we started recording, we just needed a little cry. Megan has been an oasis for me in the wild experience of a PhD in anthropology. Megan, when you told Danielle and me that you needed to take a break from the podcast and focus on your own research, I completely understood These labors of love are extremely difficult to maintain alongside the strains of everything else that we do. 
I truly admire you for your ability to set boundaries and limits for yourself and to use honesty as a form of self-care. Still, obviously, I am going to miss you so much, and I hope that you come back to us when you can. Talking culture won't be the same without you. That is true. Talking culture won't be the same without Megan. However, I am also so excited about the direction it's changing and growing. And on that note, I'd like to introduce and welcome our newest producer, Riley. Riley is a Métis Cree Mohawk man from the eastern side of the Rocky Mountains. He is currently pursuing an anthropology PhD focused on the place of bear in both settler and indigenous societies. Being bear himself, he is interested in weaving his own story through the stories of both the land and other beings. In the winter, he hibernates. In the spring, he awakens. In the summer, he is active and social. And in the fall, he starts to relax and get ready for his long nap. Academic work is not the center of his life, but it is an important part of the song that is his love. He also values his partner and his family and shows this through his writing, music, and words. Hello, Riley. I cannot tell you how wonderful it is to have you here. And Daniel, it is so nice to be back recording with you. Happy September. Yes, hello. Happy September. Hey, guys. <laughs> um, so, Riley, welcome to Talking Culture. I'm like, I mean, I already said I'm super excited to have you here. It's always nice to get new, fresh perspectives and, you know, to have new voices speaking with us and have people listening to new ideas. So, would you mind sharing with our listeners, and honestly with us too, because I'm also very curious, um, why you decided to, to join our little podcast? Yeah, so this might be a little um, counterintuitive, but I actually don't particularly like podcasts and don't listen to them at all. And that's part of the reason I wanted to join. So uh, right now I'm, I'm in anthropology um, and, uh, and I'm not a particularly sort of business oriented person but I was recently just had a job as a manager for like this uh, business research thing and it was very business oriented and small and medium enterprises and I learned so much from it and so I figured that doing a podcast which is not something I normally do might be uh, the best way to sort of learn something new because it's quite outside of my comfort zone and so I'm very excited to see uh, what what the method you know if we think about it that way has to has to offer nice i think that in the same vein you'll probably be able to give it a new spin or you know like really bring a different voice and perspective to what we have been doing so it's a revitalizing of the podcast in more than one way i hope so yeah totally and I mean, like, in a way, <laughs> not to just not to do this already, it's making everything anthropological, but it is an anthropology podcast. In a way, it's kind of anthropological, right? Like you're coming as someone who doesn't really, you know, engage often with podcasts yourself and like learning through doing and learning through talking with us and figuring out how, you know, what makes this work and what this does. So that's really cool. <laughs> um, 
and I think Danielle is totally right. Like you will having coming from the the place that you do that is not like media anthropology like Danielle and me, it'll definitely be a, a, a really fresh perspective. So what do you think, what are you hoping to bring to the podcast? Yeah, so um, this is, again, maybe a little counterintuitive, but I'm hoping to bring uh, less academics. So uh, I come from a very small town in Alberta, very resource-oriented we all we all we basically do is there's like two or three mines around the town, an oil field, and then there's a pulp mill in the town, and this is what everybody does. And so I always I always think about this whenever I'm sort of working in academia, which is I want anything I produce, or sort of the ways the ways I'm thinking about things to keep in mind those people, because um, I think sort of one of the wonderful things about anthropology that is sometimes forgotten, and the reason I joined is that it's about highlighting sort of the humanity and the lived experiences of people we might otherwise forget. And so I, I try to bring back, I try to remember those you know, oil field and those coal miners. And, you know, even when I write papers, one of the first things I do is I, uh, you know, my partner's from a very similar background, I get him to read it, and then I get my dad to read it. And if they uh, if they understand it and it makes sense and they don't, you know, uh, say what language are you speaking, then I'm all good. And that's, that's the kind of thing I, I hope to bring here, sort of that, uh, that sensibility or that, uh, that sort of perspective um, to, to, the, to I, th- I think, what, what we are all, are all to some extent here for, which is that on the ground, you know, um, you know uh, respecting and sort of meeting people where they're at. So those kinds of stories and, and those sorts of uh, ways of thinking and, uh, and doing. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, that is one of the things that one of the things that we wanted to bring to the podcast originally, you know, like part of the original idea was to bring anthropology to audiences that might not engage with it um, in other parts of their lives, which is why a podcast is such a good medium for that, because it's conversational. We're just talking here. But at the same time, I think that we sometimes forget that (laughs) part of our mission. Um, and you know, some of our episodes have been quite academic and maybe, um, inaccessible to a lot of people, depending on their, their professional background. So I think it'll, it'll be really great to have you, reminding us of that and like to keep us accountable with that so thank you and just out of curiosity what kinds of maybe formats do you think you want to experiment with you know how broadly speaking we tend to do like essay based or Alejandro did a short story one last last season which was very nice and then we do the classic interview so which ones do you think you, you're most interested in, just out of curiosity? So like I think a version of the interview, I, I think about uh, when I was growing up and uh, sort of um, being Métis, this is a big part of the way we sort of transmit knowledge and sort of learn things, which is sort of like what I would say is maybe like the kitchen table methodology. So I hope to just uh, to bring sort of a format that's very oral and um, where, you know, less, less, less formatted, maybe sort of just letting things go where they do, like at the kitchen table and uh, as well in the kitchen, the, the kitchen table is a lot of laughter. Hopefully that usually <laughs> happens, um, you know, well, ap- you know, apart from awkward political discussions and stuff when you go <laughs> home. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, I, I can bring some laughter and some uh, some joy and humor um, to the podcasts. Awesome. 
No, that's amazing. I would you mind? I mean, I read a little bit about your research in in the intro already um, in the bio that you sent me earlier. But would you mind talking a little bit to our listeners about what your research is? You know, give us your your little elevator pitch that I'm sure you're telling a million people right now at the beginning of the semester. Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, it's a, it actually might change. So. <laughs> I'm sure it, it definitely but, uh, will. But so far, so far, um, yeah. it's about the ways uh, bears exist in both sort of settler and indigenous imaginaries and the way the sort of category of bear moves uh, people's fears and desires and sort of results in different ways of thinking about our relationship to nature as well as to each other. Wow, that's really cool. I mean... I'm not trying to make this about me and my research. I'm so sorry, but it like reminds me because I study natural history filmmaking and natural history films. Um, it reminds me so much of like the polar bear mm-hmm. mythology. Yeah. I kind of wanted to call it, you know, and like this image of the polar bears being this symbol of climate change and like the whole, you know, like the poor polar bears are dying. You you, you can see the image of the bear on like a small piece of ice not being able to get to you know get to land Um, and just how powerfully entrenched into our imaginaries that specific image of a bear is Um, yeah and it's it is crazy how many different places it shows up and I'm so interested to to talk to you more about like where you know where these intersections are um, between indigenous and settler thinking in terms of the bear and like where they differ. And, you know, I'm sure there must be a lot of appropriation and a lot of really complicated ways that that, that these, you know, that this specific animal enters our imaginations. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, although I, I actually, in my work, I try to point people, especially sort of settler people to their own pasts, um, and say, instead of sort of saying, oh, indigenous people are going to save us because they have this traditional knowledge, settler people also have traditional knowledges that they've mm. often forgotten because they're sort of, sort mm. of taken up by modernity. And so uh, a part of what I do is say, well, no, you know, going to indigenous people for knowledge about ecology right now is to some extent sort of just an extension of the the sort of mining of knowledge from indigenous people that has gone on and you know sort of even supported the creation of anthropology and so instead Mm -hmm. i say you know uh go back to your own pasts and look at your own traditions because um yeah uh, european peoples have long histories of living with and respecting um sort of ecological uh ecological webs that are beyond the human wow that's so cool. <laughs> uh. What you just said right now really reminded me of what you said previously of the table. Like I imagine this as a sort of conversation that is happening um, around everyone's heritage and the way they can interact in a productive way. So it sounds like it will be a very interesting topic if it ever comes to the fore in your episodes. Yeah, yeah, and even if it comes out in my actual <laughs> research, <laughs> we'll still have to see. <laughs> uh, I mean, well, everyone's projects change, but hopefully yours doesn't change too, too much because that is fascinating and I can't wait to hear you talk about it more. Thank you. Um, yeah, of course. 
So we we announced a few weeks ago um, that we are really excited to be thinking about practice as the theme of season three. Um, we had a conversation about what we wanted our season three scene theme to be a few months ago, and we decided on this. It was this was a Danielle idea, so thank you, Danielle. Um, and for those of you who have listened to the first two seasons of the podcast, know. Each season we pick a theme, which is a broad topic that we tie to each of our episodes for the sake of, you know, some sort of continuity so that the each episode isn't totally unrelated to the others. Um, and this season we decided on practice because like boundary from season one and then possibility from season two, there's a lot of different ways that we can think about what it means and like an almost infinite number of ways that we can approach practice. Um, so how are you two hoping to approach the theme of practice this season? Um, in Think Our Practice, we wanted sort of to bring it really down to what it means to to apply all these concepts in the everyday, in the concrete. Um, how do we go about doing anthropology? So in my case, uh, one of the episodes that I'm thinking of doing uh, has to do with photography and sort of working out the questions of what makes photography an ethnographic practice. What makes a picture ethnographic? Is it a kind of style? Is it a kind of framing? Like, I think these are interesting questions. Um, that is definitely something that resonates with me. I recently actually bought myself a new camera and I'm moving from film to digital. And uh, I take lots of photos and I think about photos and uh, it's definitely, it has a history in our discipline. Um, and it, I don't know, maybe it's sort of, sort of fallen out of favor in, uh, in sort of the, in, in, uh, because everyone sort of loves text and we all elevate text to this sort of uh, maybe like inhuman abstract level. <laughs> and so uh, it's nice to think about how we can maybe bring photos both still and moving uh, back into our practice. Like, I don't want to sound too generalizing because uh, I haven't read everything, but I feel that most of the texts that I see have, when they have images, they're not very good images. I know. Mm. Like, it's definitely <laughs> like people grab their phones, take a picture and then write picture by the author and that's fine like i don't think everyone has to be a quote-unquote photographer but that's what i mean like the questions that are interesting to to think with like is ethnographic photography just taking out your phone and you know taking a picture of the moment without i don't know these are questions (laughs) yeah no, for sure. And I mean, we won't get into it too much right now. We'll save it for your episode, I guess. But like, is just an ethnographer taking a photo, an ethnographic photo, or does the photo itself have to be saying something that the words aren't? You know, because otherwise it's just like a supporting, a supporting image isn't necessarily, it could just be mm-hmm. like explanatory, you know, it doesn't, if it, but I feel like if it's saying something new and saying something that the words on the page aren't, then there is something differently ethnographic about that. But I digress. <laughs> what about you, Riley? Um, how are you planning on approaching practice this season? So uh, it's all very much like what you were saying about what we actually do. You know, anthropology is resistant to the kind of ultra abstraction that philosophy 
often takes part and revels in. Um, but anthropology sort of is about is about people. And so my my thing is people are super I don't know if I can say this, like I don't know if I can swear, but people are super fucking weird when it comes to being around native people. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, wow, what not ooh, tell me what this tree is. Ooh. <laughs> I don't fucking know what the tree's name is. I grew up in like I now live in a city. I don't know the tree. And um People are really, really weird about it. And I, that's what I want to talk about. What is it? What's the practice of speaking to indigenous people? And why? So there's two things. Why are people so weird about it? And in what ways are they actually committing sort of forms of violence by being that way? And secondly, there's this other thing that happens. It was in this class once and the professor before these people from Ganawage came to our class, gave us this big speech about how we should have respect and be careful and all this stuff. And I asked him, I said, why don't you do that when other visitors come? Why don't we have that kind of respect and that kind of care for all of our... And he said, oh, well, some people are in academics already, so they know what to expect. But maybe those expectations are problematic and, and traumatizing and violent. So in, if we extend the sort of care we take, some people, when we have indigenous sort of informants or participants, and we extend that to everybody, how might that, what might that uh, question in the ways we work, you know, what might that show that we've taken for granted that is actually not great? And how might it how might it make all of our interactions sort of more caring and and sort of uh, mm, uh, empowering? For so sure, that's yeah. that's what I'd like to think about. No, that's that is truly amazing. It's also like interesting because you've got like a two tiered thing. Like first, we ha- have to stop being weird <laughs> about talking <laughs> with indigenous people, but like also once we get past that how can we use what we've learned like in terms of respecting human beings to like respect all human beings? Is that, is that what you're saying a little bit? Yep. Yeah. 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 That's, that is really interesting. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I've also like, you know, in terms of the example you gave in that class, like how does that professor know also that the people from Ganawage who are coming to visit, wouldn't necessarily have like had experience talking in a university setting yeah. also. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And how about you, Alejandro? How are you going to apply the, the theme? The theme, the theme. Um, well, okay, so I just, I am in my writing up stage. I got back from the field in June. Um, so I've been, you know, thinking a lot about my research, obviously. <laughs> um, but one of the things that, one of the things that's really important to me in the type of research that I do is that I like to study people based on their actions and like based on what they do rather than who they are, you know, so I'm, my work isn't really necessarily so much about like identity or like cultural identity or bounded by that. It's more like bounded by the practices that they do. So I study natural history filmmakers that is their profession that's what binds them together um and so I've been thinking a lot about like what we especially people who use visual mediums in anthropology ethnographic filmmakers and photographers and multimedia anthropologists in general like what we can learn from them um and you know just to be selfish about it like what I can learn from them too as an ethnographic filmmaker myself um the way that my research participants practices in terms of filming what they do, like filming animals. Um, 
And then what I do, like <laughs> filming humans, um, I know, I know, I know it's a problematic dichotomy, but let's just not get into that today. <laughs> um, like how those things overlapped and like what I learned from integrating their practice of like filming animals into my practice of filming humans and like how that differed, but also how similar it was. Um, and I think that, you know, beyond my own project, I think that we can learn a lot about what it is that we do by paying close attention to what our research participants are physically doing. Like we can learn a lot about our practices by paying attention to their specific practices, whatever that might be. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be thinking a lot about that and that will kind of be the subject of, my, of our first episode later this month. So a little teaser. Nice, nice. I'm very excited to, to see how it all comes together. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, I'm honestly just really excited about this season in general. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be really great. Yeah, me too. And Alejandra and I were very excited to have you here, Riley, and to see how your voice changes the podcast. Hopefully for the better. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm also. I'm also excited uh, to be here, and I'm excited that now I'm. See, I. Uh, so my um, my partner was born one year after me, but sort of in the kind of way they organize generations. He's Gen Z, but I'm a millennial. Nice. So he's sort of very cool, and, and, and <laughs> he has, I think, listened to podcasts. And I'm sort of not, and <laughs> I think it's very, very funny to be old or, like, to be considered old when you're only 26. Mm -hmm. And so I, I get to be cool now and, and do podcasts <laughs> and all that stuff. Nice. Well, welcome. Because, oh, welcome thanks. to the Cool Kid Club. <laughs> Wouldn't have called us that before, but it's official. <laughs> um, anyway, I think that for now, that is all for this week. This episode was produced by Danielle, uh, music by Justin Kober, and cover art by Sofia Melian. Okay, here's my, here's my time to shine with my coolness. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Hit that notification bell, even though there isn't one. And come talk culture with us on Twitter at Talk Culture Pod or Instagram at Talk Culture Podcast. Great talking with you guys. <laughs> Check out our merch. Yeah. <laughs> no merch yet, but you can check out our no, website. Great idea. We should make merch. <laughs> you can check out our website, talkingculture.ca, to pitch an idea or hear more from the McGill Anthro community. Or send us a message awesome. about merch. <laughs> yeah, send, send us a message. If you want to buy merch from us, we will provide it. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, you guys. <laughs>